Hey, really quick before we get started, please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and drop a review for me. That'd be great. You can also check me out at rhitch.com. That's R-H-I-T-C-H. As a reminder, everything said in this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions alone. All statements regarding companies made are strictly beliefs or points of view held by myself or my guests and not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any securities. Myself or my guests may or may not maintain positions in securities discussed. Hello and welcome back to the Financial Breakaway Podcast. I am Ryan Hitchcock, your host, and I am a financial planner with High Point Capital Group out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today I have a great episode with Greg Copeland, who happens to be one of my best friends, but I was pumped to get him on the episode here to share his story of leaving a corporate job where he was making six figures plus. And he went into business for himself by buying a private for-profit hockey rink. The rink is called the Ponds of Brookfield in Wisconsin here. It's a great story, especially wrapped around this context of a termed great resignation uh, in this world we find ourselves in. So with that being said, let's get into it. So hello and welcome back to the Financial Breakaway Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about an interesting topic in this uh, quote-unquote investing in the new normal series that I've been doing. Um, And this term we're going to be talking about, you've probably heard it being thrown around the news a lot lately. It's called the Great Resignation. And I have an amazing guest with me today, actually one of my best friends, He's an old college roommate. We played college hockey together, so uh, so I not know a lot about him. Um, but he's part of this great resignation. He left a six-figure corporate job and bought a private hockey rink in 2021 here. So I'm really looking forward to hearing this story. Kopi, Greg, can you uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, thanks for being on. So Greg Copeland owner of uh, the Ponds of Brookfield. So, but Greg, before I turn it over to you and, and kind of unpack this story um, of your journey from the corporate world to the private hockey rink ownership world, let me uh, just have two minutes. I'm just going to set the stage on, you know, what this great resignation is and how it kind of intersects with this investing in new normal series that I'm doing. So if we go back, you know, this new normal, it all started with the onset of COVID, obviously, as we all know, a life business, it all turned on its head. Now we're a couple of years since then. And this trickle down effect, we're seeing it all over from government policies, market volatility, global unrest. We've seen booms and busts in certain companies or industries. And now we're seeing one of the biggest changes in the job and labor markets we've ever seen, which kind of intersects with what we're going to talk about. So I think it's fair to say, you know, this, this world is a lot more complicated, right, from just two years ago. So going into this great resignation, I'm just going to throw some kind of stats at you. I like to do this right at the beginning. And then uh, we'll dive into your story and maybe we can uh, revert back to some of the, these stats. So the great resignation, it's referring to this phenomenon of a large volume of professionals that have been resigning across the states and the world. 
Um, employees are in all industries, really. They've been looking to quit their jobs for a bunch of different reasons. They're switching to better opportunities. They're retiring earlier than they previously planned because COVID has changed that for people. Uh, many workers are just not willing to put up with the pay and or work conditions they accepted before the pandemic. Many are looking for that work-life balance these days. And then many, as in Greg's case here, they're looking for they're not really looking for a new company at all. They, they opted to go into business for themselves. And so I was looking at the U.S. Department of Labor stats, Greg, and nearly 4.3 million people quit their jobs in January of this year. And this is coming off a record in November of last year, 2021, where 4.5 million, 4.3, I'm sorry, 4.53 million to be exact, quit their job that month. And so if you tallied up all of 2021, almost 48 million people quit their jobs. And that's an annual record, hands down, um, since stats have been, been collected. So a couple more here. Um, and this goes into your story. So the Census Bureau, they have this business formation statistics data. I have to reference that. But in uh, November 2021, it showed that just under 5 million new business applications were submitted from January of 2021 to November of 2021. This was a jump of 55% over the same period in 20, uh, 2019. That's saying a lot more people are starting businesses. Um, you know, it just kind of goes on to say the pandemic opened an unexpected window of opportunity, they call it, for people hungry to go into business for themselves. Um, what it did give them was time to just reassess and look at the future work of their life. Um, last thing, that, you know, this is just a, a kind of separate stat is it's, but it ties in with this, this conversation is, you know, government data is showing that, you know, give or take the month, we have this huge gap of employment and job openings. You know, we have close to 11 million job openings and only uh, 7.4 million people looking for jobs. So um, it's a big problem for hiring managers and, and HR directors, but it just, uh, it's just kind of interesting in this conversation we're gonna have of, of where people are going in this, this work environment. So we'll reference back to that. Greg, let me get back to you. So why don't you first just kind of tell us, you know, we're gonna unpack your story, but tell us, I'm not sure people even really know what the business of like owning a hockey rink is. Can you explain what that really is? Well, I mean, in, in simplest terms, it's, you know, providing an, the product of ice to, you know, teams and individuals on a daily basis, primarily, you know, our, our facility here uh, focuses, we are seasonal. So, you know, in the winter months, we are 90 90 to 95% contractual with the organizations and groups that come into our facility, whether that's a youth program or a high school program or some of the college teams that we have uh, uh, as customers. And then in the summer, uh, traditionally, prior, prior to our uh, ownership of the facility, traditionally, it was a, a much slower, not, not as much contract, more private individual uh, folks, less usage of the facility, whereas, you know, now we're, we're kind of getting into that more of our perspective is to get that back into contractual. So, I mean, we are an event-based business. Uh, we provide an event-based product. People come to us, they don't have to, uh, but they come to us because of the experience that we provide to them uh, within our facility and on the ice. So we are, we are an event-driven experience 
business and our product is ice. So, yeah. So that's interesting. So like, I mean, obviously you and I grew up in the hockey world, but you have youth organizations, like you said, high school teams, and they all need ice to practice, play games. And there's a cost to that. And you are the one who owns the ice and, and get charged uh, for that time. So it, ma- it makes sense. Pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to put it into the traditional lister, uh, listener terms, I mean, we are from in layman's sense, we are a warehouse with ice in it. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> and, um, you know, same factor for some of the people investing in real estate, you know, everything we quantify here now is, is a, is a cost per square foot. So, um, you know, and again, but for our users and for our customers, the, the ones that are actually coming in, we, you know, their product is, it, it's an experience on the ice for your traditional listener. I mean, we are a facility and we rent it out per square foot. So. Yeah. And, and just throw this question out there. Cause you know, in our area, there's a lot of government owned hockey rinks that people might be familiar with. What's the difference between a private and a government owned hockey rink? Well, I, uh, statistically, I believe there's only three private rinks in the, in the state of Wisconsin. Um, you know, there's 80 plus community, um, or nonprofit owned facilities that support, uh, the same type of customer base that we have. So the, the, the three buckets that you have is you have the county owned, which would be, you know, some of our, our local, uh, sister rinks like Ebel and, and Nagawaki, which are, are part of the county park and rec system. Okay. Um, and then you have other facilities kind of like the Fond du Lacs of the world, um, the West Bends of the world that are owned by their youth hockey organizations, which are, you know, both ultimately much different structure financially, much different structure as it relates to resources, the county park. Uh, rinks are all part of the county park system uh, program and process and financial and budgeting. The youth hockey organizations, you know, they the, the advantage for them up at West Bend and, and Fond du Lac is they get to kind of control, you know, the 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 facility, who manages it, who volunteers it, um, and they have a little bit different of a value prop um, than we have in as a private for profit uh, entity. So okay, no, that's a that's a great description i guess you know even my whole life being in hockey rinks I never really bucketed it, it out like that so there's the private there's the government and there's the nonprofit. so that that makes good sense um so let's get into i kind of want to talk about why you did this and then a little bit about how you did this after that so i know i've been saying this term the great resignation i know that's probably not all been in your mind but you were a product of that, you know, like 2021 is when you officially did this, correct? That is, that is correct. Yep. September, so, September 15th, we actually, we actually closed on the, 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 the facility and the business. Okay. Um, so let's, let me just start with the simple question. Why did you leave a six figure corporate job, a very good job that you were at for what, 10 to 15 years, probably, if not more? to go open, I'm sorry, or to buy a hockey rink? Well, I mean, if we peel the onion back even further about where this all kind of started was, you know, I've actually been a member and a participant of this facility and business for, you know, 13 years, you know, walking through the doors and supporting the organizations uh, on a daily basis. In addition to, you know, growing up just, you know, as, as you have in the hockey world and, having a big passion for this type of a, a business and an industry and supporting the community and supporting youth development and high school and, and college. Um, this, this opportunity, I think would be a little bit different than many others as it, it kind of found me um, versus okay. me finding it. 
And, um, you know, during that process, during this time, um, you know, over the, over the past 10 plus years, 12 plus years, the seeds had been planted, the conversations had been had, and, you know, it just seemed that the right time, the right place, um, and the right moment was to, to do this, uh, over the last, uh, in September of last year. And I, and I do think that, you know, when, when we, when we go back in time a little bit, starting all the way back in March, 2020, um, I think the, the shift mentality of what we wanted to do myself personally, and what I wanted to do, uh, given that period of time, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic to growing and living through the pandemic and working through the pandemic and grinding through all that stuff. Um, it was a little bit different of a thought process of what did I actually want to do or what did I actually want to have to do the, the rest of my, my professional life. Um, and, you know, when the opportunity came to me and, or when, when I went and actually sought out the opportunity that was slapping me in the face, you know, I wanted to make a decision that at any given time, any given moment, I realigned myself with my true passion in, in life. And, you know, I, since I was four years old, I've skated in a hockey rink since yeah. I was, you know, I moved out and played junior hockey. I left, you know, to do all these things, everything that I've done. And even sitting here talking to you on this podcast, um, it, ultimately has wrapped its, itself into being part of hockey or being part of a hockey rink and being part of a hockey association. So um, I think for me during this period of time, um, I, I used that the time from the beginning of the pandemic to when the transaction actually closed to uh, refocus and realign um, ultimately what I wanted to do personally um, in addition to what I wanted to do professionally um, moving forward. And, uh, that's, that's why the decisions were made. And I think, you know, since that period of time, it's, it's been fantastic. So, well, that's, uh, that, that's amazing, man. And, and congratulations, number one, I haven't said that yet on the podcast. It is very cool what you're doing, but, but that, that actually is, is very insightful because that's kind of what I even said in those earlier stats, um, and what we're hearing on, on the news and streets is that it kind of, the pandemic, did give you time to realign kind of your, uh, your passions. Um, I've been seeing that just as like kind of a, a side story. That's why a lot of people are retiring. You know, I do a lot of retirement work obviously for clients um, and they're retiring, not because they, they are at a certain age, but that they originally thought they were probably going to retire. Like maybe, you know, 65 is always a retirement age. Maybe they're 60 now and they're like, Hey, I just want to be home with the grandkids and then and enough is enough. So in the same sense, it's kind of what you're looking at doing. You're like, Hey, where do I want to spend my every day working? And that was at a hockey rink, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, again, the, the, the great resignation philosophy is, is one where the employees have had, are now trying to take control back, you know? So, you know, whether it's, as you noted at the beginning, the work-life balance, whether it's, you know, wanting more or, or not knowing what's actually out there or, you know, taking advantage of uh, experiencing it, it right now. I mean, the, the advantage of experiencing new experiences or new knowledge and new tools, new education, and, um, you know, not kind of being like our grandparents who, you know, signed up for a, a company and worked for 40 years, got a pension, you know, had a single, you know, single family house and a car and a cabin somewhere and yeah. retired. I think today's generation wants the ability to be uh, mobile, even within their profession. Um, and people are rethinking that they're kind of taking back their, their lives versus, you know, just taking the norm. And I, and I, 
you know, I think that we're going to continue to see that for some uh, time until, um, you know, companies provide a different type of experience that that brings people back into the their office setting or their workforce um, in a more permanent, um, more standard and more efficient manner. I think that's very well said. That's very well said. And that's why I love having these conversations is getting your insight on that as, as, as somebody who's, like I said earlier, been in corporate life and now actually pulling the trigger on um, a big adventure uh, financially and personally, which we're going to talk about more in a second on that side. Hey there, it's your host, Ryan here. Just wanted to interrupt for a quick sec. If you work with a financial advisor, financial planner, investment professional of the likes, you have to ask yourself, are they going the extra mile for you? Are they digging into the economy like I'm doing here with these interviews so I can better understand this economy and the markets for my clients eventually? Or is your advisor giving you cookie cutter advice? It never hurts to get a second opinion, a second set of eyes on your financial plans or investment strategies. So head on over to my website, rhitch.com. That's R-H-I-T-C-H.com. Click on the work with me tab. It's up on the right hand corner there and set up a complimentary consultation and let's have a conversation. All right, that's it for me. Let's get back to the rest of the interview. Take me back to, like you said, during the pandemic, you don't have to get into specifics of like your, the old company or anything, but what were you thinking that made you kind of rethink things? Was it uh, any corporate cultures? Was it just, you know, life is changing and COVID technically was a little scary for all of us to realign goals or take it where you will? Um, I, I actually think, you know, this, this goes back to even conversations that we probably had Um you know, post-graduation, you know, when we were talking about, you know, taking over the world and, you know, those things that you do when you're you're empowered. And I think, you know, the biggest thing for me was um, kind of on the emotional IQ side where there was a lot of fear, not because people were afraid, but because they were unknown of things happening back in, in, you know, the beginning of the pandemic. And I think once, once we kind of got through that and, and we kind of, you know, reorganized our our new normal of how we were going to adjust to whether it was personally and with the family and professionally with work i i think the appetite for risk came back oh. and for me um you know my biggest thing was you know timelines and conversations and stuff like that i, I think a lot of people what holds them back from making decisions like this is is the fear of the unknown sure and i think you know, living through that experience and, and literally, I mean, the, the nerve wrackingness that millions of people probably went through when they're sitting at their dinner table saying, what the heck am I going to do? Or how are we going to get through this? Are we, is the business going to be here in a month or, or all those types of things? And then, you know, for the most part, a lot of it realigned and came back to new normal other than how we actually interacted for some period of time. And we're still, you know, coming back from all that. But I think having that, te- that test and that taste made it easier to just take the leap. Because, sure. you know, ultimately, did it, put, had, did it put some of that risk in your own control too? Even though, I mean, ultimately, the question I asked myself was, you know, how much further could you sink the ship if you were actually on one? I mean, we already experienced kind of the worst of the worst and we weathered it. Yeah. And we got through it. And I was like, you know, now is the time. Okay. I mean, you know, ultimately, there was, it was one of those decisions where, 
you know, again, the conversations we're having for quite some time, it wasn't like, you know, we sat down, had coffee, wrote something on a napkin. And the next day we, we were closing. It was a very, very um, um, amicable projected timeline of events that we went through. Uh, but I, I do think that the experience that was not only are from even before that with all the conversations like, you know, that you and I would have and other people that I'd have in my networking and my mentor group, um, in addition to what we experienced during uh, the beginning of this, this, you know, the pandemic to now, um, you know, for me actually helped me adjust to what my tolerance for risk was. Yeah. And I said, you know what, this is going to be risky, obviously. Um, and I said, let's do it. Yeah. You know, like, let's, let's figure it out. And um, having, I think also having a good background and, and good baseline of, of where I've come professionally, um, you know, also gave me kind of the, 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 the backing of saying, you know, if, if this ultimately does not work out for, you know, we do have something to kind of fall back on and, you know, we could, we could figure that out. So, yeah. so yeah. So I want to dive into that part of it in a second, kind of the mechanics of how you really decided to take that leap. But to sum up kind of what we're saying is you are, you've had this in the works for a while, just by your participation in, in the hockey world for a long time. Plus this, uh, this rink itself for almost 13 to 15 years, like you said, some timing lined up with uh, the other parties that we're going to sell maybe too, but during the pandemic really gave you a little bit of time to really reassess and, and give you some more of the confidence to make that, make that uh, jump. Does that sound fair? Like a fair yeah. summary? Yeah, it's very, very fair. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, very, it's very cool. So, um, all right, so let's get into a little bit of kind of how did you do, how did you do this? Not to reveal all your secrets for sure, but it was a big purchase. How does somebody go like for the listeners out there? How do you kind of wrap your head around doing this one? And then how do you actually get your ducks in the row too to literally buy a business? Um, well, for for me, you know, the the first step for me was to leverage individuals in my network uh, that I trusted uh, that have purchased businesses, um, have managed businesses, and without telling them exactly what or what, you know, what the idea was, just getting their viewpoint on what things ultimately uh, one would need to do. Um, so if we were talking about this as like a tutorial of, of yeah. you know, going out and buying a new rink, I would definitely surround yourself with people um, that have done this before and have the confidence and are also intimately enough uh, relationship with you that they're going to share with you a little bit of the things that were worked well for them. Um, from that stage, it ultimately, I was introduced to um, individuals that were going to allow me to start organizing and putting together the thought process of what the structure of this business would actually look like. Um, once from there, then, then I had to go down and through the journey of, of actually um, some homework actually from, from one of my mentors was to put together your actual business plan. Like, okay, yeah. great. It, it's a hockey rink, you know, people rent ice, but you know, what are you actually going to do with it? You know, what, what is your actual goal? Um, again, you're going to be one of the, uh, you know, the only private for-profit type of uh, rinks. Statistically, if you want to Google this up and any of your listeners want to Google this up, if you statistically look out into the marketplace across the country, um, private rinks generally uh, are not positioned to make money. Okay. Uh, it is, it is uh, a very small percentage of groups that actually can, can figure out a way and, and uh, 
put themselves in a position to make this something where it's actually a livelihood uh, versus a, a hobby or attached to you know other things within the business interests of that individual or owner, whether it's real estate or you know many other facets of business. Um, so the business plan had to be um, legitimate. It had to be realistic, and ultimately, it had to be something that pointed us in the right direction right out yeah. of the gate. Um, from there, ultimately, uh, I had to go find the right partner um, as it related to a, a financially financial partner uh, banking. Um, and I interviewed a couple groups, a couple different groups, had a couple different conversations. I ended up settling uh, with with a local group here um, nice. in Brookfield. Um, Spring Bank, actually, they're, they're a phenomenal partner. Love to nice. give their name a shout out. Yeah. And um, after we sat with them and we talked with them, you know, again, continue to get some of the ducks in the row, uh, was introduced to a, 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 a very good accounting group uh, to help me start organizing things as what, what it would look like. Um, and then structurally, you know, got the, the legal folks involved. What would that look like? Um, once I had all those ducks in a row, then the negotiation on the actual acquisition um, started. And, you know, so you had to kind of build your team first in a way. Yeah. Because we didn't, I mean, and again, I mean, amicably, you know, I had, I, I, I have known the previous ownership for quite some time. Um, but, you know, ultimately, when you go into some sort of a transaction like this, you know, friends are not friends, it's still business, you know, nobody yeah. wants to sure. um, put each other in, in a, in a, in a position where they don't feel like they're winning, right? Even yeah. if you're going to have a cup of coffee after together. So, you know, once we went through all that process, there was a lot of things that we'd actually put together that were kind of a decision tree matrix where if this happens, then we go here. If this happens, then we go here. Um, and it was a long process. I mean, to, you know, tell all the listeners, I mean, it took it took more than 12 months to, Did it really? wow. uh, to uh, get through the, the kind of the negotiations and everything like that. Um, and then ultimately, once we, we got, came to an agreement, then again, then all my partners and all the people that I've built on the team um, came together and we, we closed this thing. Um, and it was it was good. It was it was great. It was a great feeling. I think, you know, for those that get to experience this this type of uh, an activity in their life where they they sign a check and they 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 own, you know, a business or they own or they're managing a business or they get to run a business, um, even though, you know, Compared to some other the other listeners out there, we're not really that big of a business, uh, but we're we're mighty. Yeah. Um, it is it's still an exciting thing because it gives you that empowerment. And then I think ultimately coming out of that, that's the strength of coming out of all that stuff is really again keeping the the good people that you surrounded yourself around, um, and you and you actually force them to stay involved, so they stay they help you stay honest, they help you stay true to what that original business plan was, what that original mission statement was, you know, what, what the, all the things that you put together to be successful. So, and I, you know, again, I'm lucky that I have those individuals that are, are, are part of my, that's my great advice. Team. Yeah. And, you know, again, and I do, I, I reach out to them often, probably more than they want me to, but <laughs> they, the reason I do it is because I want to, you know, I'm still new enough where, and I, I feel that I have the humility enough where I, I'm constantly asking, you know, is this, is, you know, are we staying aligned here? Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing that I'm lucky of is that the, one of the, one of the things that was a deal maker or a deal breaker for me was, you know, I couldn't lose the, the staff that we had, the, the team that was here managing the, the facility. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think one of our huge advantages 
uh, out of all the other groups across the our, our great state here is that we probably have one of the best crews um, in the business. And you know, with without them doing that, I ultimately wouldn't be able to do all the things um, that I'm doing here to help work on the business and grow the business and support the business um, in, in the manner that we've done in the last you know seven months. So. Sure. No, that's, that's a great story. That's great advice. I, I thought you worded that very well. Um, so, you know, you know, let's, let's just kind of end it on. I got two, two good questions there to, to end it on here for you. Um, and more just on the advice side to people looking to maybe do what, what you did. Cause you, you did an impressive thing. Um, a scary thing to a lot of people probably. So what would be your biggest advice to somebody that might be thinking of taking a leap of something like yours is the first question. And the second one is, what do you think people get wrong the most when thinking about, uh, you know, the world that you kind of went through? Uh, well, on the part about the advice is just, I mean, ultimately just believe in yourself. If you, if you truly take the time, and truly take the time to sit down and do the pre-planning work, have those conversations with people that have done the things that you're trying to do and be honest and, uh, and have the humility to take, you know, good, bad, and indifferent type of criticism to help you build your plan. Then I would say, you know, don't be afraid to believe in yourself then. And don't, don't be afraid to, to, to make the leap because you've, if you don't have a problem asking people to help you figure it out, then you shouldn't have a problem taking the leap of faith. And, you know, I think it proves how bad you want it. I think people can feel that. Um, and the other thing I would add to that is make sure you kind of have like a little bit of a mission statement of, of you, like why you actually want to do what you're doing. Like our, our, our thing here is, you know, just control the experience. I mean, our, okay. our, our number one tagline here is, is control it. So everything that we do, all the money that we invest, all the things that we're doing here, if it doesn't going to increasing the value of the experience to people walking into the rink, we don't do it. doesn't matter what it is. If it's not going to add to the value of the experience, we're not doing that uh, within the facility. So Makes that's sense. kind of been our tagline since the beginning. And then, you know, the things that people get wrong, I think people rush. Um, I think, you know, I, again, I just with conversations, the reason why people can provide advice um, about building businesses or starting business and stuff like that, or, or, you know, they've failed, you know, in some part of this, I mean, don't get me wrong. In the last, in the last seven months, we haven't done everything right. Um, but they failed at some point. And the number one thing they tell people is don't rush, you know, like, okay. Yeah. And then once you get into it, it's going to feel like you're running around, but you're still, you still don't have to rush, right? There's only so many, so much time in a day. There's only so much things that you can control, you don't need to rush it if you have a good plan, if you have a good springboard, if you have a good network, if you have a good team, you don't have to rush the success, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people ultimately look at that and say, oh, man, I can make whatever it is or, you know, they, yeah, sure. they, they stay in the dreamer mode. Um, and the second facet of that is, you know, you have to figure you have, once you get into this, you have to figure out which slice of it you're really good at. Are you really good at being in the business? And working in the business, or are you really good at working on the business? And that that creates yeah, creates two different teams for you. If you're really good at working in the business, then you need you need some partners, you need some friends, you need mentors that are going to help you grow the business. If you're really good at at building the business, then you need partners and you need 
mentors and you need uh, uh, teammates that are really good at, at being in the business. Yeah. Um, you have to figure that out. It, it, it's not a day or it's not second day, but you kind of figure out what, which one of those you're where you kind of fall in. Yeah, sure. So ah, great, great answers. Cope. Well, I know you're a busy guy. That was a great conversation. I learned a lot. Um, thank you very much for being on here. I really do appreciate it. Congratulations on, on the success and the new business opportunity here. I'm sure you're, and I know you're going to be continue to do great. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. So we'll talk soon. Talk soon. All right, bye. Bye-bye.